manuscripts we've got finish at verse 8. Verses 9 to 20, it's not bad stuff. Because it's basically somebody early on has gone and said, wow, this is a weird place for the gospel to finish with this woman saying nothing and running away frightened. And so um, some early people were writing out the copies of, of the gospel of Mark, went through the other gospels and drew in all of their resurrection accounts and, and put it together and, and said, right, let's just, let's just finish Mark off because we don't like how it finishes there. We don't know why Mark finishes so abruptly. It's, it's quite possible that, that he wrote it all and then a piece got torn off the bottom of the manuscript way early on before it could be copied. Maybe Mark died while he was writing. He got to verse 8 and then he got sick and he couldn't write anymore. We, we just don't know. I, I think Mark probably would have written more. I, I, I think he probably did. And, and I do advise you to read through verses 9 to 20 because they're good. Um, but today I want us to look at what Mark actually wrote. And I want us to look at, at the way it finishes as well. Because even if, even if Mark wanted to write more, I think the way he finishes in the text that has come down to us by God's provision. God knew that whatever rest Mark wrote wouldn't be in our Bibles. And so this is what we've got to deal with. What did Mark say? What did Mark mean? We have been looking up until last Friday at the last 24 hours of Jesus' life. And just before that time period, you'll remember that, that Jesus was anointed by a woman who cried over him and poured perfume out over him. And when people complained about the cost, Jesus said, she is anointing me for my death. And from that moment on, we start with the passion of Jesus, with the, with the Easter story proper. And here Mark finishes the, the, the passion narrative, the Easter story again with, with some woman coming to anoint Jesus. Some women who are drawn to the tomb of Jesus because of their love for Him. Because of all that He meant to them. Because they want to just give one last act of devotion to their teacher, to their Rabboni. Mark starts with some woman remembering a dead Savior. Which is kind of an ironic title because a dead Savior can save no one. Because if we didn't have Easter Sunday... If we didn't have today, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, if all that we did was remember the death of a good prophet of God, of a good man who died, then you and I are wasting our times if Jesus is not alive. So let's have a look what happens with these women. Saturday evening, when the Sabbath finishes, Sabbath you weren't allowed to do anything, the shops were closed, 
As soon as it stopped, stores opened, they went out and they bought all the spices and stuff that they needed to anoint Jesus' body so that it wouldn't smell. So just, just this last act of devotion to, to, to say, hey, we really cared about you and we want to make sure that the tomb is usable for another person. And they go and they buy these spices. Probably more, they, they probably think, well, what Joseph did is just not enough. We want to do more. We want to, we want to see that Jesus really has a fitting end to his life. But notice what's happening here. Very early on the Sunday morning, just at sunrise, they go to the tomb. They go to the tomb with spices to anoint the tomb. This woman did not expect the resurrection. I've just died. This woman did not expect the, the resurrection. One of the things we, we did this morning at the sunrise service is we asked each other, well, why do you believe that Jesus is alive? And, and I shared with the group that one of the reasons I, I hold on to the, the belief and the truth that Jesus is alive is that nobody expected it. They all thought he was dead. This wasn't, this, this, this wasn't something that everyone thought, oh, right, we'll, we'll, go and, we'll go and meet him at the tomb on Sunday morning. They thought, let's go to the tomb because he has cocked it and we need to... We need to just pay devotion to the dead Jesus. And they're just acting out of grief. They're going because, well, because it seems right. They haven't even thought about the stone. They haven't thought how they're going to move it. And, and, and they're really anxious about it as they're on their way. You can imagine these, these three or four women trying on their way, halfway there, and they look at each other and go, ah, oh, the stone. What are we going to do? How are we going to get in? They come to anoint the dead Jesus, stuck behind a stone. I wonder if there are ways perhaps in which we are a bit like these women very early on the Sunday morning at times. In that maybe there are times when we treat Jesus as though he were dead. Honor him and respect him and and pay homage to him as a great teacher and a great instructor, but maybe even somebody that's worth emulating. And yes, I will lay down my life just as Jesus laid down his life. But ultimately, not allowing him to speak, not allowing him to change us, not, not living as though he were here, treating him as if, well, he's dead and he can't actually do anything. He can't actually save us. I'm hoping most of you are going, no, I don't treat him like that. But maybe sometimes we do. You see, these women were going to the tomb of Jesus to remember the man 
who was. Forgetting who he is. Forgetting that he is the God who was and is and is to come. And so they come in verse 3, they got this kerfuffle about the stone. The stone wasn't just like a round stone on a flat surface. Chances are um, it, it was a round stone and only the very expensive graves had round stones. So a round stone on a slope so that when you rolled it to cover the entrance, it was rolling downhill. And so to move the stone would be really difficult because you'd have to shift it uphill. It's meant to block the entrance. It's not meant to be easy to get in again. And when they look up, they realize that, thank you, they realize that, that they've been worrying about how to get into a tomb that is already open. And Mark is wonderful because Mark doesn't really worry about the fact how the stone moved. For, for Mark, it's, it's, it's all about the fact that the stone is moved. Matthew goes into a bit more detail about an angel and an earthquake and the stone moving. For Mark, it's just, hey, look, the stone is gone. Wow, that's loud. The stone is gone, but, but let's be loud on that point because it's amazing. Have you ever wondered why the stone was moved? Who's got an idea? Why was the stone moved? To let the people in, exactly. It, the stone wasn't moved to let Jesus out. <laughs> Jesus appears later on in John 20 to his disciples and what amazes them is that the doors are locked and yet suddenly Jesus is there with them. It was part of the resurrection body. It's amazing. We're going to have fun. But the stone was moved. Jesus was resurrected and there was no need for the stone to be moved for that to happen. And yet the stone was moved so that the woman and later Peter and John could, could go in and see the place where Jesus was. Because they needed to see to get a bit of a kick up the backsides. Because they needed to see that Jesus wasn't there. I mean, this is, this is, isn't this fantastic news of Easter? Um, what, is, what happens here? They look in verse 5. And they see, well, it's not actually empty. There's this young man, an angel. Um, he's sitting there in, in white robes. Matthew says there's two of them. Mark only focuses on the one. Uh, and he's sitting on the right. And, and, and you know it's an angel because he says the thing that angels always say. He says, don't be alarmed. Stop being frightened. Um, my wife's mother always calls her a little angel. Her little angel. Sorry for mentioning that, Taryn. And I keep thinking that every time a Bible, in the Bible an angel is mentioned, people are very, very frightened. So I don't know what's happening there. <laughs> and I'm going to die when I get home. But here is a young man. He's dressed in white. And something about him, these women know that he is a powerful, angelic person from God. And he says, don't be alarmed. You're at the right place. You're looking for Jesus from Nazareth. <laughs> he's not here. He's risen. Look, look, that's where he was, but he's not here. Jesus of Nazareth. 
Yeah, the man he was is really important. He is still Jesus of Nazareth. It isn't interesting that the angel doesn't say you are looking for Jesus, the highly exalted son of God. He says you are looking for Jesus of Nazareth. Look at the place where they laid him. He really was dead. From about chapter 18, Mark, about halfway through, in fact, exactly halfway through the Gospel of Mark, Jesus starts speaking to his disciples, saying to them, I will die, and three days later I will be raised back to life. In fact, chapter 14 of Mark, I think it is, he says to them, and once I've come back to life, I will meet you in Galilee. Isn't God so gracious? Here are these women coming to the tomb to anoint the dead Jesus. They're not expecting a resurrection. They're not expecting a miracle. And the angel could quite easily have gone at them, You fools! He said he wasn't going to be here. I'm going to take you off well and proper. You should feel really, really bad. Why didn't you listen to him? The angel could have chastised them for their lack of faith. But isn't it fantastic what God does instead? Jesus sends his angel not to tick the people off for misbehaving and for, and for not knowing about the resurrection. He sends the angel to reassure the woman and to say, Hey, do you remember? He said he was going to be raised from the dead. He said he was going to meet you in Galilee. Come on, go and tell the others he's going to meet you there. and tell his disciples. Go and tell his disciples. Remember a couple of weeks back, we, we've heard about how we all betray Jesus and how Peter denied him and how perhaps we sometimes deny him as well. And yet the first message that Jesus sends is not addressed to my betrayers, not addressed to those who have denied me, not addressed to those who have run away when I was being persecuted. The first message that Jesus gives is to his disciples. Because despite everything that they had done, despite their forgetting his promise that he would come back to life, he still says to them, you are my disciples. And even Peter, the one who we saw possibly even cursed Jesus. Jesus' message through the angel is, hey, Peter, I'm going to be looking for your face in Galilee especially. Wow. You know, it's interesting. Mark doesn't show us the empty tomb to prove to us that Jesus has been resurrected from the dead. Instead, Mark shows us the empty tomb and has a messenger saying, he is not dead, he is risen, and he's waiting for you. And isn't that what our faith rests on? The good news being told that Jesus is alive and the challenge to go to him.
the women have to go tell the disciples to go to Galilee to follow Jesus. And, and Mark ends with this, this weird thing in verse 8 with the women being just so frightened that they don't tell anyone. <laughs> they eventually did tell them, otherwise they would never have written this book. Eventually they got over their fear and they went and told the disciples and the other gospels tell us about how they ran to tell the disciples and the disciples were told didn't actually believe them, which was rather horrible. These women were so thoroughly scared. And it's true, they were filled with joy as well, but Mark doesn't mention this. And it's true that that actually Jesus met them as they were leaving the tomb, but Mark doesn't mention this. And it's true that Jesus did actually meet his disciples in Galilee, but we don't have a record of that in Mark. Maybe Mark would have written it. But what we do have from Mark is the good news proclamation. He is alive and the grave is empty. And we have something of the kind graciousness of God where he says, hey, you're still mine. I still love you, and and although I've told you umpteen times that I'm going to be raised from the grave, I'm sending a messenger to tell you again once it's happened. Because I love you that much. And so Mark finishes with this enigmatic statement. Jesus is waiting in Galilee for his friends to come. And I like the way it finishes there. Because I think it forces us to ask ourselves, what do we do with the news that Jesus is alive? We are very much like the woman in the story, um, as Mark tells it. All they have is the announcement that Jesus is alive. They have yet to see him face to face. You and I have the announcement that Jesus is alive and we are yet to see him face to face. And the challenge for the woman is, will you go and tell and then will you go with them and go where Jesus is? Will you follow where he has led? And isn't that the challenge for us as well? Will we believe the announcement that he is alive and then go where he has led before us? Are we looking for Jesus who was crucified in the places where he has been? Or are we following after Jesus who is risen, who is going ahead of us? The cross is at the back of the church today. You probably noticed as you walked in. It's normally up here. And it's at the back because the cross is so central, but the, the woman made the mistake of going to look for Jesus 
in the tomb. The cross is empty. Jesus stands ahead of us. He met his disciples in Galilee, and while he was there, he said to them, I am coming back. And his challenge to us is, will we be ready when he comes? Will we be there? Do we believe that he is alive? If so, let's go where he has gone. And let's wait for his coming. We're going to finish with a, with a movie. Which looks at the woman's story from Matthew this time. Matthew is very similar to, to Mark. But he just throws an extra little event at the end. Let's have a look if this can work. I know Pam said on Friday that it was Friday, but Sunday's coming. Sunday's come. So on Friday, we sang two verses of a song. And then on Sunday, we're going to sing.